Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today with a very special guest, Jacob Peters. Jacob is the founder of Comsor and is a writer, consultant, and thinker on all things community. Jacob, wel- welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Super stoked to be here. So, Jacob, by, by way of introduction, what, why don't you sort of give a background of your, your career leading up to, to Comsor, then we'll get into what Comsor is, and, and really just touch on sort of the thread of, of, that ties your, your different projects together. What, what are sort of the threads that you've kept on pulling? Yeah, so I, I think my, my career kind of started at, at building community at and uh, an, un- an unlikely place. And that was a, a big bank on, on Wall Street. So I started out working as a data scientist at, at JP Morgan. And we kind of had a, a small internal community of, of data scientists uh, at the bank. It was very much like a, a burgeoning function within, within the business. But I, I quickly realized that you know, I wanted something more. I wanted to find ways to sharpen my data science skill set outside of just work, you know collaborating with my coworkers. So that kind of made me realize that there was this uh, this need for folks in the data science world, you know, outside of JP to gather, to come together, to collaborate, to upskill uh, people that were trying to break into the field, wanted to find jobs. So that ended up leading to me starting a uh, a, a community, which eventually became one of, if not the the biggest community of data science professionals in. In New York City, and that was originally just me getting together with a few different coworkers at JP, uh, other friends that worked at different firms in data science world. You know, meeting up in coffee shops on weeknights, reading the latest you know AI white paper. Next thing I know, boom, it's it's eight thousand people, and uh, I'm in kind of this accidental position of community leadership and and authority. And it was r- while running that that community that I realized you know there weren't really any great tools for community builders uh, outside of kind of you know a, a lot of platforms like Slack and and Meetup. And there's just some missing threads there. Um, and, and community builders really lacked a, a strong understanding of you know, who their members are, how to keep community members engaged, you know, what's the health of a community. Like community builders just weren't able to even answer these types of, of basic questions. So that was kind of the, the early inklings of inspiration for, for building Comsor and realizing that community builders were very ill-equipped from a, from a tooling perspective. And, and let, let's um, zoom out on just some principles of, of community. What, what makes a, a great community to you or how, how do you sort of define it? How do you differentiate between communities and, and networks? Uh, why don't you sort of uh, just expound a little bit on, on some of your theories of, of community? Yeah, so I think to, to people all, oftentimes, they do two things. They over, they one, they overcomplicate community. Uh, and number two, they, they don't even know how to describe community, right? The word community is kind of this, this amorphous blob. It's a very abstract thing. And I think a lot of people have a tough time uh, defining uh, and scoping out what it what exactly it is, and the meetings kind of gotten lost more recently, right? Like everyone seems to call the, the audience that they're creating, or the project that they're working on, or the company that they're building, or the software user base that they've amassed a, a community. And and I think th- there's there's a lot more nuance than that. So I like to define a community as as two simple things. So it's my two simple step equation formula. Uh, number one, it's a it's a strong reason to gather. Uh, and number two, it's a strong reason to continue gathering or a reason to to re-engage more or less, right? And and this gathering and this and this re-engagement and regathering has to happen in a many-to-many format. And what I mean by that is that there has to be connections between and among people, as opposed to connections between a, a creator or a curator or a broadcaster or, or someone who's building an audience 
in a one-to-one relationship between the, you know the audience master and then the audience member right or the or the follower or the or the subscriber so that's what comes to mind when you say newsletters you know things like twitter instagram these are all follower based you know networks they're not really communities because they're one-to-one relationships uh, as opposed to communities where you have a bunch of people together in a in a shared space that is a a many to many many network and uh, when you do the combinatorial math you know it's exponentially more powerful than a, a audience which is a one to many network because you know if you had 500 people in a whatsapp group or in, in a slack community or attending the same meetup chapter you know that's uh like 62,000 different connections if you had 500 people as opposed to if you had 500 people following you on twitter or or 500 people uh subscribing to your to your newsletter so i think that the key difference is that it's uh it's many to many versus one to one and the the difference there is really exponential math and when we think about how to start a, a great community wh- wh- or how to get it off the ground, what are some of the principles you uh, you, you swear by? Uh, the, the biggest thing is just there has to be a common shared identity, right? Like a person has to to, to feel like they are a part of something bigger. You know, when, when you subscribe to to a newsletter like the Morning Brew or a, or a Substack, you know, you, you don't really feel like that's a a strong part of you or, or a shared core part of your your identity. But when it comes to, to building a community, I mean, this is something that has to that resonate with you on a, on a deeper, more uh, emotional level, right? It has to evoke uh, a strong response. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the core f- fundamental principle that there, there has to be um, in order for a community to exist in a, in a community to thrive. And that gets back to step number one in my formula, which is, which is a strong reason to gather, right? That, and that reason to gather has to be at a deep, uh, emotional, you know, philosophical level. It has to hit hit close to home. Like a community really has to be the first place that a person goes or the first, um, you know, light bulb that goes off in their mind when, uh, you know, they have a problem or something that they're thinking about, uh, depending on the industry uh, that the community's in or the, or the problem that the people in the community are coming together to to solve. And this this problem in the, in the, that the community solves and this emotion that it evokes, like it has to be something consistent, right? It has to be persistent. It has to be something that these these people feel all the time. I've seen a lot of companies and, and conferences for that matter that pre-COVID they were once in time once once a year exercises, right? It was it was a, a community for a day more or less, right? It was a point in time. It was a reason to gather for a one day event. And these conferences they tried to go digital. They tried to create a digital glue to connect members between, you know, the next conference next year and create a, a long-term community presence. And you know, frankly, a lot of them are, are failing, right? Because that that reason to keep gathering uh, and that that strong like emotional appeal and emotional response that the community needs to invoke just just isn't there, right? Because the magic was only captured at a point in time, and it's hard to keep it keep it persisting. So I think that's a, a, just another thing that you really need to internalize if you're going to build a successful, thriving community. Yeah, I've, I've heard the framework. Um... You need, you need to think about value and values. So like value, like what utility are, are you, you know, offering such that they, they get something out of it. And then values in terms of like, you know, common beliefs or, or shared identity that, that people have that, that keeps them c- coming back. Totally. How do you think about different phases of, of the community? Do you have any frameworks for thinking about as a community grows or, or even, you know, as it scales, sort of the different, the different phases? And there's definitely like different, like obviously maturity levels of the community and, and different levels of, you know, tender love and care that you need to give at, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the different stages. You know, in, in the earliest days of a community, generally the, the community starts off small in volume and the majority of the connections are actually between you as the community leader 
and and the members, right? So it's very reminiscent to the the audience one to many paradigm or one to one paradigm that I discussed in the beginning. And as a community leader, you basically have to find a way, or a community builder, you have to find a way to scale those relationships and connect members and get them talking to one another and, and communicating with with one another. And that, that's a that's a really hard labor in, intensive thing. And you know, I, I think there, there's this big misconception out there in the world right now that you know the perfect community software, the perfect community tooling, or the perfect community platforms can can solve all of these things. And I think that this is is less of a, a software or a product problem and more of just a playbook problem and, and more of a you know a know how. Uh, I mean, you know, p- people have been talking about playbooks in the, in the tech world, in Silicon Valley, in the startup world, um, you know, for the past 10, 15 years. B two B SaaS sales, um, you know, getting your your first you know five thousand social media followers, like all of these things have playbooks more or less. To a, to a degree, and people can can follow them, uh, implement you know SEO, name basically any sort of function with, within a business. Uh, but when it comes to community building, I think we're we're still very much in a in a raw period where um, you know there only a select few number of, of individuals have created these things at scale, have gone through all the different phases successfully, and have started to you know almost productize tie their learnings where anybody can can show up and do this. Yeah, and so what might you expect to be? In a, in a community playbook, uh, in the same way that we have playbooks for other space. If, if you spent, you know, full time just focused on, on that question, what, what might you explore? What, what might you think to, to add, put in? Yeah. Community playbooks, man. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a tough thing to, to, to put into a playbook. And the challenge is that, you know, every community is, is a little bit different, right? Like the, the reason, to, like I said, a community is, is an emotional thing. It, it's relationship based. Um, it is, it is not something that I think you can truly ever properly you know, productize um, or automate. It's, 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 it's psychological, right? It's, it's getting into an understanding of, of human psychology. Now, I say that, but at the same time, you could probably make a lot of those arguments about you know, sales um, and, and, and the B2B sales playbooks and how that can, can be learned. So maybe I just haven't thought enough about productizing that in, into a playbook yet if, if you know, salespeople can do it. So it, uh, <laughs> maybe my, my lack of psychological understanding is, is, is naive, but I think that, that's an interesting thing. Yeah. You know, going back to the stages, it's interesting. Richard Millington has his community life cycle. I I think he calls it, it, you know, inception is when 50% of the activity is generated by the community. Um, And in the beginning, uh, you have to sort of manually do a lot of work, even though you're sort of making it seem as though it's as community driven as as possible. I I think that's one of the more, you know, misunderstood or underappreciated elements of of getting a community off the ground, just how manual it is in, in, in the beginning. Absolutely. You know, in software, there's this whole concept of like time to value, right? Where a customer has to, if they're going to continue paying or, or get past the free trial, put their credit card in or not churn if, if they're more of an enterprise customer in a long-term plan, you know, they, they, you want that time to value between sign up and onboarding and feeling the value and like understanding the problem, you know, that that's being solved by the software and having that, oh crap moment, like, wow, this has now made my life 10x easier. You need community members to feel that very early on in their in their journey, else you know they're not going to come back and, and re-engage and, and regather, as we mentioned in the beginning. Step number two in the formula, and, uh, and another one of the stages, the, the end stage is mitosis, when the community begins to split into smaller subgroups or in separate communities entirely. I, I, I think that's an interesting. Uh, we're seeing that a little bit with On Deck as as we sort of grown the On Deck Founder Fellowship, and you know, there are lots of channels w- within On Deck Founder Fellowship, but also uh, we're, we're starting into you know adjacent verticals as well. That, that's just one among many examples. Yeah. And the other thing there, you know, once a community gets much more and more mature is there can almost be like a reverse network effect where the larger the community gets, you know, the, the less valuable it is to 
uh, each incremental member because there's just more noise and, and it takes more time to find signal in the noise if there's a lot of conversation. So how do you think you, um, how do you protect against the reverse network effect? And right, like all, you know, confer- conferences potentially have this or clubs or, you know, lots of sort of, uh, you know, just social uh, com- communities. How, how do you fight this? Yeah, I, I think to your point, like, you have to be comfortable with the fact that subgroups can will exist. And yeah. I think you should be proactive about, uh, about, about creating them. Uh, the, the other thing, and this is kind of one of the, the main you know reasons why we decided to build Comsor in the first place is that, you know, if you're, if you're a community manager or, or someone building, building community or, or trying to create a community driven organization, it is really challenging to manage this many relationships at scale and this many human beings without being data driven. And, you know, almost every other industry company function, you know, has the luxury of of more complex, you know, BI tools, or just analytic, rich, rich analytics to get an understanding of of how they're performing and how how they're, they're, they're benchmarking uh, themselves, you know, or at least able to like slice and dice uh, user data or or information on customers to to answer questions. And, And when it comes to community that that hasn't really ever existed before, you know, I once spoke to a a, a community builder three or four months ago that told me uh, they used to have a CRM in their brain where they would spend every single Monday memorizing facts and taxonomies about different members so that they could go into their community every day on Monday morning and be the connectionist and you know scale scale the group. So uh, th- you know basically operationalizing um, and productizing the, the ability to truly measure and understand who your community members are and take the most you know, data-driven actions to, to uh, you know, facilitate connections among members and understand what's working and not working in your community. That, that's you know, one of the whole reasons why we decided to build Comsor in the, in the first place, which I think you know, if you're armed with that intelligence, it can help you much, make much smarter decisions about your, your community later on down the line and potentially mitigate something like a reverse network effect that could be ultimately detrimental. What have you learned about what metrics are most important when it comes to you know measuring community health or other uh, metrics co- that community builders sh- should be tracking? Yeah, it, it truly does depend on the objective of of the community, and, and primarily we've been working majority with companies in the B two B space thus far. And you know, frankly, these types of organizations have never truly tracked community metrics beyond, I'd say you know, more superficial things like the, the number of members that are in the community, maybe if they're more sophisticated, the percent that are engaged. But the missing link there is tying community back to business objectives or getting a, a window into how community is impacting the bottom line in the business. So in B2B world, for example, it would be great if community teams or, or people that are, are building communities, you know, whether it's customers or if non-customers or prospects or, or developers, if it's more of a, you know, an API focused tool, be able to understand things like, you know, how is community membership correlated with retention uh, on our software product, right? Or are there, you know, community qualified leads or people that that work at different companies that are not in our sales pipeline today that we could potentially, you know, sell into or, or begin a sales relationship with and leverage the fact that they've been community nurtured in order to close, close a deal. So, you know, number of community qualified leads or something like the number of community influence sales and, and attribution is always messy. But if you can start to tell the, the story, if, if you're a larger company that's investing a lot in community that, hey, you know, XYZ person joined the community on this date. And then two months later, their company became a customer. And we know that community is the sole way that they were nurtured. They didn't have any other marketing touch points. Therefore, we can say that, you know, this sale was more or less uh, attributed by the by the community or at the very least influenced by it. And those are powerful stories that, you know, many CMOs and, and community team leads and, and customer success managers are just unable to to tell today 
know, I, th- I think those are some of the ways that you can start to think about community metrics from a B2B standpoint. That's what I have most experience in. Let's go deeper in, in, in B2B um, uh, in companies and how they should be thinking about community. What what sort of do they underappreciate or, or, or not get or or what is sort of, what is sort of the common advice you, you end up giving? Yeah, the, the, the common advice, is, here's the thing. We're, we're so early days in this. Um, at most companies, honestly, I'd say 80% of them don't have any investment in, in community today. Or if they do, it's uh, it's one person running a team or it's a, it's a market or, or, or customer success or a support manager running this this on the side and, and companies haven't fully bought into the the idea that community could be potentially the most powerful core pillar of a of a business right so that's kind of my ideal end state and, and where I see the, the the community world going is is actually becoming like the core flywheel for and kind of a hub and spoke model um, at the center of, that can touch every single business function within the enterprise and, and we're just not there yet and, and this is going to be a long gradual change that's going to take anywhere from two to the next 10 10 years. And, and it's honestly very reminiscent of the world of data science, you know, five to 10 years ago. When I started out at JP Morgan, you know, our team was more or less like, you know, two lone statisticians kind of hacking on machine learning problems in, in a silo. And, and by the time I left, you know, we scaled to a team of 30. And this, this, this group was now at the, the front and center. Of, and we, we touched and were responsible for, for, you know, helping 20 different functions within the business be, become more data-driven about their jobs. And they, they moved us from a silo to a core center of excellence, where it was very much hub and spoke, uh, and data started to, to drive the whole show. I think it's going to be a very similar uh, transition in, in, uh, in the enterprise with a lot of larger companies where they realize that community can have, have positive, massive positive impact you know, exponential on, on all these different functions. And let me tell you some, uh, you know, some examples. Uh, if community sitting at the center you know, you have the ability to touch, you know, an unlikely place, HR, for example, or people ops, right? Like you could use uh, community as a place to find, you know, developers, if you're a developer tool company um, to hire from, uh, if you are uh, trying to sell into other enterprises through your sales function, you know, you can use the community as currency to say, hey, you know, if, if you have a community built around a B2B persona in your industry and you're also trying to sell to that B2B persona, your sales team could say, hey, you know, if you guys are trying to hire for, for people in this industry, we've got a, an amazing community of thousands of folks that, that, you know, we could post your job into. So that's kind of a, an interesting connection between, you know, maybe community and HR, for example. Sales, it's obvious. Like I, like I said, you could start to measure community qualified leads, community nurtured leads. Find ways to to kind of subtly you know nudge people from uh, from the community into into the sales pipeline. Marketing, same thing. When you think about marketing, uh, marketing is all about like if you think about the traditional marketing funnel, it's all one off touch points with you know people. And when you have people in a community, that is a perpetually warmed touch point, right? Like you have now built a, a long term relationship with them. So it, it kind of gives you the ability to market to these people 24 seven. And guess what? You don't have to do any of the marketing because you have community members marketing amongst themselves, right? And talking with, with, with one another. So it's kind of a, a way to, to scale your, your marketing presence. And, and the other thing is, you know, when it comes to, to marketing, th- there's a, there's a saying or, or a heuristic that, you know, only 4% of your target market is really in the market for a product or ready to buy at any point in time. So you know, why are you wasting your time marketing to the other 96% if it's just a one-off touch point? But what if you had those people in your community, then when the timing's right, uh, it's it's just like you can, you have a much greater chance and probability of striking when the iron's hot. So, I mean, there's all these different ways that community, if it's at the, the core and center of a, of a business, can, you know, impact every, every, every department. You know, product is another obvious one, right? Like having either existing customers or if it's a more industry-focused community, 
community members that are in there talking about your product, talking about their pain points, talking about you know what, what their challenges are. You have a, the best, closest pulse to what's happening and what's new and topical in, in your industry in that community that can inform product roadmap decisions, right? Same thing with, with customer support or customer success. If community members are getting much more than a product itself, and they're actually getting a, a, a series of different relationships by being a member of your community, that's ultimately probably going to le- likely lead to less churn as well as less support tickets drop for, for your team. So there's all these different ways that community can impact other portions of the business. So I very much see a world where community sits at, at the center and it becomes a, a proper center of excellence as opposed to being a siloed operation, much in the same way that, that data science was you know a number of, of years ago with, within the enterprise, and um, take any of the archetypes you, you mentioned in terms of groups you could build communities for. What, what's sort of the best bang for your buck? You know, given limited resources in terms of what, what's the best way to even start? You could you know there's so many different formats of communities that you could create, both in terms like very specific in terms of like the product stuff, but then also even zooming out like online versus offline, meaning regularly versus non regular. Yeah. Like how do, how do you sort of think about cadence or format or sort of best best bang for your buck. Yeah, I, I think right right now, um, you know, look, there's there's a lot of communities out there today. You could theoretically build a community in any sort of sort of niche, and I don't think, you know, and you, you could use an infinite number of tools to make a community experience possible, right? I said I think the the purpose and the reason for gathering matters so much more than the than the platform, and I think a lot of people over index to you know, the platform and the set of tools that they're, that they're using. So I'd say that that, that doesn't really, really matter at all. It's, it's never been easier to, to start a community and you have an unlimited number of, of options at your disposal right now. I think one of the biggest places where there's a lot of green space is in the B2B world. And this goes back to, you know, step number one in my formula that I mentioned at the beginning, which is in order to have a big community, a strong community, you need a powerful reason to gather. And what better reason to gather and evoke an emotional response uh, from people and, and a deeper meaning is that is by going and building a community about their role or their job title. I mean, people's work and the reason that they wake up in the morning and the way that they put food on the table for their families is, is their job. So a, a person's role and a job title very much becomes a core part of, of their, uh, their identity, right? And everyone's objective when, when they're working is to get better at their jobs. It's to be the best version of themselves, right? Or if they don't have a job yet, it's, it's to get a job. So if you can go out and find you know, underappreciated personas or, or job titles or roles within the enterprise or within different B2B companies, build communities around them, um, you know, become kind of the go-to place for thought leadership in that, in that space. You know, it doesn't even matter if you have a product yet. You could basically start building relationships with, with people first and become, uh, you know, known as the, the go-to guru for anything in that, in that world. And then it's, a, it, it's an amazingly easy place to, to launch a product or find ways to, to monetize that, that later. So I think that is one of the places where there's, there's a lot of green space right now. Totally. And so, like, let's say you were trying to, like, you created a community of data scientists. I mean, is part of the reason why it works so well is because, you know, things like it didn't exist prior. Like, how would you try to do that today or pick, I don't know, sales or, or marketers? I assume that there are lots of communities for, for these folks today. Is it really identifying just where people aren't underserved or do you also, or where people are underserved or do you also try to, you know, go into spaces that are crowded but just make 10x better community? I think you could do both. And we're going to see the, the, the 10x better part happen very soon because this green space, you know, arbitrage in the market don't last for long. And I see this as very much an arbitrage right now. Like there's a strong reason to gather and there, there's demand, but nobody's done it yet. You know, this is why I had such not an easy time, but why we grew so quickly when I was building my data science community in New York, because, you know, there was an arbitrage opportunity between, you know, the desired state of people to gather and learn more about data science and the current lack of data science communities in the, in, in the city. So, 
you know, we're, we're going to see that arbitrage and that gap close very, very quickly. And more and more communities are going to be built, especially as we talked about, you know, the playbooks are going to get better. They're going to get more refined. More and more people are going to do this. You know, I, I there's there's courses now to, to launch communities. I mean, we launched a community for community builders, which is which is very meta and it's growing exponentially. So there's, there's going to be no shortage of resources and, and no slowdown of communities being built. So that the playbook for the next few years is going to be how do you make communities 10x better? And there's going to be a, a new standard set for communities, and only the best communities are going to are going to survive, right? Because like we talked about. Uh, it's 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 very high friction to get somebody to to join a community, right? It's a high level of time commitment, and it's challenging to get them to keep keep coming back for more. But you know, it's it's pretty easy to get people to follow you on on social media. It's pretty easy to get people to subscribe to a newsletter. But it's uh it's challenging because communities ask a a lot out of people in order to to have them be be successful. So experiences are going to have to be 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 ten x better. Yeah. To, to that end, talk about the difference between uh community or the intersection between communities and audiences. And how people should, with audiences, should think about community. Yeah, so I'll I'll give a personal anecdote as to how we converted an audience to a community at, at Comsort. So when we were in the early days of building the product, we started a newsletter for community builders, and this was this was a you know classic audience play. And you know we took a very MVP approach. We were like, you know, there's there's a lot of community building resources out there, but no good curation of them. So we're going to send out a simple. Uh, you know, one page Substack newsletter with the top five tweets from community world every week and the top five blog posts. And we were able to growth, growth hack that thing to a few thousand people, people pretty fast. Now we, we then were pretty methodical about introducing a slow drip of many to many experiences into that newsletter. So we would host virtual zoom events, virtual happy hours on, on different, uh, virtual gathering platforms. And that was kind of our, our first, you know, experiment going from audience and one to one to many to many and giving people the the ability to to gather and um and re-engage with with one another. And we we actually used the the notes that we took and sound bites and snippets from the conversations in those in those happy hours and included them in the next newsletter to build up a sense of FOMO that like, oh wow, if I'm not attending this thing, like I'm clearly missing out because now this is uh you know the featured content of, of the week in my in, in my newsletter. And from there, it just became, uh, you know, this, this flywheel. Next thing we know, we launch a Slack community. It gets to a few thousand members. Uh, we, we host like the, one of the community industry's biggest, uh, virtual conferences. And the funny thing is we, we plan to host that virtual conference pre COVID. So we were one of the first customers of, of Hopin, which has now uh, grown exp- exponentially th- these past few months. Um, so that, that, those were some of the things that we did in, in the early days to kind of hack our way from audience to community. And I, I, and like I said, one to one to many to many experiences. And I think this is a, this is an uh, eventuality that a lot of audiences are going to have to, or are going to come to, right? And, and it's a, it's something that they're going to do in order to, to stay competitive. I mean, the best audiences that are just amazing and kick ass at what they do, they're going to be fine, you know, maintaining just, uh, just, just an audience. But in a world where content is unlimited, and time is limited, you know, there's just, there's going to be too many options for people, too much distraction. So how do you find a way to connect with people on a, on a deeper level and move beyond your audience? You know, that's obviously build a community, right? So I think more and more audiences are going to realize that they're going to need to introduce community experiences and and those communities are going to need to be 10 X better than the, you know, than other communities that people are in or else they're not going to get folks to, to engage. And, and that kind of leads me to my point as to where I, I think community is, is, is going to, to go. I think that, you know, most the, the end, like people often ask me, what is the end state for a community? I think the end state for community is, is honestly like a, a new age, full stack, vertically integrated media business. 
Um, like I, I know a guy that started a, a Slack community is called Product Marketing Alliance a year and a half ago. It was just 500 people. It was 500 product marketers. Now uh, he's, he's got a, a, a podcast, uh, newsletter, blog, Slack community, courses, certifications, you know, virtual meetups in every major city in the world. I mean, this thing has, has ballooned to, to, to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, millions of dollars in, in revenue. And it's, and it's properly a full stack media company. And it all started from a, a simple newsletter and a, in a community. And, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's countless other ex- examples of this. And the, the other question is, you know, how do you monetize one of these, these new age media companies? Because traditionally the, the, the media model was, you know, get millions of tens of millions of eyeballs, uh, monetize through value extraction, which is advertising. And it's all algor- algorithmic pro- programmatic, you know, there's no, there's no control by the, by the human beings. And there's just been a big rejection of that, that model. And, you know, it only really works at, at scale. So I think community monetization is the, is the next frontier with these these new age you know full stack vertically integrated community multi multimedia businesses and multi-channel media businesses Let, let's take a little bit into you're also investing in companies uh, that are enabling community what do yep. you think what is sort of your your thesis or your request for startups or in terms of the white space for for, for building these companies and, and tools I, I think the, the the biggest thing is you know managing a and building a community is so multifaceted like it is a complex operation and and i see so many startups building in this space especially in like you know the, the pick and shovel type type plays right where where they're building um platforms or infrastructure for community builders or, or making it easy for people to build communities i see everyone taking the one size fits all approach in the sense that you know they want to create the the perfect full stack solution so that your community can live in a box with four walls and i think that is the absolute wrong way to do it in in my mind you know, community is kind of like a decentralized web. It's a, it's a bunch of bunch of different channels and touch points and ways in which you can you can engage with with, with members. And uh, you you can't put community in a, in a feature bloated box with with four walls or on a one size fits all fits all platform. So I think uh, the startups building in this space, especially when it comes to infrastructure and community tools, should pick out you know diff- smaller, different, maybe more um, you know like bite sized components of um, you know the community building experience. And, and and start there as opposed to trying to start with some sort of one size fits all platform because they're they're not going to see uh, adoption that way. Like I think you have to be the best in the world at one small component of community building. And if this industry and you know community as being the, is, is is truly the you know the future as we all think it is, um, you know that that does have the the ability to to scale if you can just solve and be the best at the world in like one particular facet of community building as opposed to building you know the one size fits all uh, platform that 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 does it all. So I think that's that's one thing that that very much comes to mind. Yeah. And what are some examples of even just different elements of, of community building that require their own, you know, tools or just to, to make it visual for some people? Yeah. So, so one is, is um, like, you know, creating intimate, like digital ex- experiences for, for people via, via video chat. I mean, there's a number of players building in this space, one of which is called icebreaker. Uh, it's kind of like zoom breakout rooms, but, uh, but on steroids with like a, a much uh, better, better UX where you get randomly paired with a, bunch of different individuals from wherever the pool is that you're, you're going in. I mean, uh, you know, lunch clubs kind of going in, in this direction where they can connect you with, with random folks within your community now, as opposed to just in, in a broader, you know, region, geographic region that, that you're part of. There's four or five other startups playing in, in this space. So I think, uh, you know, like one example could just be, like I said, ways to like engineer serendipity and, and digital connection uh, among, among members. Totally. Are there people that or companies that you talk to that you recommend not to have a community for whatever reason that it would be, you know, that they're not the type of company or they're not ready to do the type of investment or who, who, who shouldn't be building a community? 
That's that's a good one. Um, Cause yeah, definitely not everybody should be building a community. I, I think it goes back to like what I said earlier, right? Like there just really has to be that strong fundamental reason for, for people to gather and you have to connect with folks on a, on a deep emotional level and become a part of their, their identity. And I don't think every company is more or less, you know, in a, in a position to do that just by the, the nature of, of what they're building. I don't know if I can think of any tactical examples. I think, I think other, other places is like, you know, where, where there's actually like a, 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 a almost like a, a disincentive to share information, right? Like the whole purpose of a community is to like democratize information, get people talking, get people connected. But if you think about certain industries, like, um, you know, legal, for example, right, where, you know, you're, you're really not allowed to talk about your clients or, or different things and, um, or, or in different industries where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's competitive to, to share notes and, and share strategies. Like there's almost like a, a disincentive for gathering in such a manner like that, whether it's, it's, you know, competitive dynamics or, or regulation. So that's, that's something that I've, I've been thinking a little bit about. Totally. What about, um, how do you know when you're, when you're uh, ready to scale or how do you make sure that you don't scale too fast and any frameworks for, for thinking about that? Yeah. The, the, the biggest thing is that, you know, the, the right 10 members are much better than, uh, you know, the wrong, wrong thousand members. I mean, it, it really does the, the, the cultural tone that you set with a small core group of, of evangelists in the early days, um, you know, set the tone for the, for the, the entirety of the, the community's, you know, longevity and, and all of its, it, it's throughout the life of its, its existence. So I think that just the initial people and the initial people that you have in your corner in those first early days makes, makes all the difference. Is there anything we didn't get to that you think might be um, helpful to double click on or, or address? I think, I think one of the biggest things is like, um, you know, com- community as like acquisition in the, in the B2B space, right? Like, like building a community first before product. I mean, that's something that we did exceptionally well at Comsor. It's something that I'm seeing dozens, if not hundreds of, of B2B company startups doing right now. And that's essentially, you know, like I said, finding that like underserved audience or, or role or job title w- within the enterprise, building a community around them and, you know, using it as more or less like a, like a go-to-market strategy. It's, it's never been easier to start a software company. Like it's, it's the, the, the founder, you know, skill set is getting not, not commoditized, right? You still need to be, be brilliant in so many different uh, domains, but it's never been easier to, to start a company. It's never been easier to, to you know, copy what someone else is doing from a software perspective, but distribution is now the, the differentiator. And I think uh, companies that can adequately build a large community and a large following in a, in a space uh, have, you know, distribution more or less built in and it's kind of customer acquisition costs for free, right? Like it's a race at the bottom right now with a, uh, with customer acquisition and, you know, paid media, Facebook ads, social. Um, but, you know, what if I told you that, you could basically acquire all of your your customers for free, and and uh, you know they, they'd be 100% inbound. I mean, that's more or less like the story that that we had at, at Comsor. We uh we we never sent a cold email, and we never spent a dime on marketing. Yet we had people banging down our door to learn more about our product, build our product, because we were able to put together this uh, this amazing network of like minded folks, resources for people, and honestly, just build a trusted relationship with members first and ask for absolutely nothing in return and never, ever, never be overtly salesy about the product or, or what we were, we were building in the, in the background. So I, I do see this as the, 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 one of the most powerful go-to-market strategies for any B2B company uh, in, in the future, especially in a world where, where software building is becoming more and more commoditized. Say more about what, what, what you did exactly. Like how, how did you, how did you build that community? What, what did they do together? Share more about that experience. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a combination of things. Like, like I said, we, you know, we started with the, the the newsletter and the audience, moved to 
very intentional virtual events, uh, eventually scaled that into the a proper many-to-many experience that lasted, you know, 20, 24 seven in the, in the form of a Slack community. And we very much took the view that, you know, community is not a single channel, right? A community is, a community is not your Slack. A community is not your, you know, subscribers on your newsletter, people that are attending your virtual events. A community is a combination of all of these different channels and ways in which you can create value for people. And you need to, we, we did a good job of packaging all of that into, into, into one brand. And I think the other unique thing that, that we did differently with, with our community as compared to most is we almost treated it like a, like a product in a sense, right? Um, you know, we, we would do these things called like community drops where we basically, uh, you know, like create different, like a uh, unique, um, you know, one-off ex- experiences and, and events for, for members that, you know, we're very much like outside of the traditional, you know, like webinar style, uh, you know, research report, marketing playbook that a lot of communities we're following. So I think just, just treating a community like a, like a proper product with, you know, like features and surprises, uh, very much, very much, much, much work for us. And, you know, eventually, you know, we, we launched more and more initiatives. We, we just launched a, uh, a fund where we're actually investing in community driven, community driven companies and built people building tools and infrastructure for, for community. And, uh, you know, the, that initiative was, was born out of a channel that we had in our Slack, which was all about community software and, and community tools. And we basically realized that we kind of had preferential deal flow and access to, um, you know, founders that were in the very early stages of building prototypes in the space, looking for feedback from other community builders, as well as tools that were being used live out there in the wild by community managers and community builders at different companies. And, and we kind of had a, you know, a, a rare window into to, to what, what was happening in, in the reception and, you know, basically what would might make for good investment opportunities. So that was kind of the, the nexus behind building a, a fund to, like I said, you know, add value to the community as well as, uh, you know, kind of ethically and, and tactfully capture value from the, the network that we created. It's interesting because CMX was a community that existed before before yours, right? So you had to make something either 10x better or, ju- or just sufficiently different such that it wouldn't be, you know, derivative or duplicative. Yeah. But the one thing though I'd say is, is like I said, you know, doing the napkin math about the, the size of these these different industries. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how, how big uh, CMX is or was, uh, but I'd still say it was a fraction of, of the size of the, the total number of, of people with that even job title on LinkedIn, for example. And if you're taking the 10-year view, I mean, the, the community world is going to be 10, if not 100x in terms of the people building these things and creating community-like experiences for, for people. So there, there's very much you know, room for, for multiple communities in every industry and niche to, to coexist with with one another. And, and another thing that I'll add that, you know, that I strongly believe is that I think communities really do need to reinvent themselves every few years, right? Like whether it's two, three, four, or, or, or five years, same thing, same thing with companies, right? Like uh, competitive dynamics change and, uh, you know, communities and companies can be very slow to react. You know, they can launch new business lines, they can launch new initiatives. But I, I do think that, you know, a f- fundamental reinvention of, of communities is necessary for, survival in, in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of communities can, can become complacent with, with kind of a, 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 you know, a playbook that they've perfected and a certain standardized, standardized way of, of doing things. I think that's a, a great, great place to, to wrap. For, for people who want to go deeper on, on your work, but also just community uh, at, at large, community building, where might you point them? Shoot me a DM on Twitter. I'm uh, always happy to, to chat. You can find me at Twitter. It's at J double underscore C-U-B. That's J cub double underscore. Awesome. And uh, they can check out Comsor at Comsor.com, C O M M S O R.com. And uh, we also have C- Community Club, which is community.club. So that's an easy domain for you to remember. Awesome. Uh, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great episode. Eric, I had so much fun. Thanks for having me. 
If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.